Good afternoon and welcome to the Carolina Codecast, the official podcast of the Carolina Code Conference. Uh, with me today is the J Ruby guy, Charles Nutter. Say hello, Charles. Hey, everybody. Nice to see you. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. So you were one of our uh, keynote speakers at the conference this year back in August. We had you and Bruce Tate on and you opened up the entire event. Um, and so uh, I know you've been been pretty busy. You do a, the conference circuit and you end up you know, touring around the world to see what all is going on. But uh, you've you've had a lot going on since you spoke. So so fill us in. You know, what's what's new with you and what's new with JRuby since the conference? Well, let's see. Since the conference, uh, as you mentioned, I have been out for a couple conferences since then. I did uh, RubyConf that was in San Diego okay. and uh, managed to get together with some of the other Ruby folks, talk a little bit about where JRuby's going. It's kind of a free form uh, conference this year. Not a lot of organized talks, more like hack rooms, uh, open source get together room kind of thing. So I got to meet a lot of folks there. I also did uh, went to RubyConf Taiwan and wow. uh, talked with folks there a bit more about uh, about JRuby and the plans we got going forward. And uh, upcoming in a couple of weeks, I'll be at FOSDEM in Brussels uh, talking in the Java room about some of the more Java-oriented aspects of JRuby and where we're going with it on the JVM. All right. So do you enjoy all the all the international travel? Uh, on the speaking circuit promoting JRuby? Yeah, I do. And it, it used to be just kind of, I like to travel. I like to see new places and meet new people. Uh, but during the pandemic, when all that stuff got shut down, I realized that it's also kind of a lifeblood of an open source project, getting out to see people, talk to folks that are using the project, find out what people are doing, find out what troubles people might be having and, and help work through those issues. Without that interaction with the community, uh, at least in person, it's it's much more difficult to get that online. We don't generally hear from people that use JRuby unless there's something wrong. If it's working great, usually they don't, they don't report bugs, they don't check in with us. But if I see them in person or if I'm at a conference, they'll definitely walk over and they'll say, you know, I really appreciate the work you've been doing. We've been using JRuby in production and pretty much every event I go to, I found out about another production user. So it really helps keep the project going and keep me interested in working on it. That's, that's fantastic. So, I mean, it, it definitely works ever since you came and, and talked at the conference this year. I've had a lot of people who aren't Ruby developers, who aren't uh, Java developers at all who have just talked about how much they enjoyed learning about JRuby and the history of it and kind of where it came from. Uh, and they'll tell other people about it now because they know more about it than they did before, even if they're you know actively doing PHP or C sharp or something like that. Um, and so it's even the people who aren't using it, the message is it still spreads and they, they learn about something they didn't know about that there are benefits to sort of this cross pollination of, of languages where you can get some of the best of both worlds there. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, the the conference, uh, Carolina conference, was such a good opportunity to share across some of those technology boundaries. It made me kind of take a step back and do more of a, a history of JRuby, intro to Ruby, intro to why we're doing this crazy thing on the JVM, 
And I had a lot of really good conversations with people that had never done Ruby, some that had never touched the JVM. And I think everybody got something out of it. It was, it was, a, it was a great opportunity. So thank you very much. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for, for coming down. And so you're in Minnesota, right? Yep, that's right. So is it cold right there right now? I assume so. We're... It is. We are a little uh, late on getting snow this year. There's not a whole lot on the ground, but it's now pretty much every day below freezing. And uh, we're we're expecting things to, to get a little more severe in the next month here. Nice. We uh, we got our first cold snap of the year today. And so we woke up and it was in the 20s today for the first time. And oh yeah, we don't like that weather in the South. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, you, we you just can tell we're kind of used to it warmly right now. Oh yeah, exactly. We're 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 kind of used to it up here, but uh, this is still a very light amount of snow. Uh, we always have uh, we we always like to have a white Christmas, and this year it was just kind of a wet Christmas. Ugh. No snow, just rain. So unfortunate. I think I've had I think I've had maybe one white Christmas in my entire life, just from <laughs> from how the weather goes down here. But, uh, so you know, I, I forgot to tell you happy new year. So, you know, we're, this, this is probably going to be published in, in early February, but right now it's January 3rd, 3rd, yes, January 3rd. I'm losing track of my days here. Um, so happy new year. Did you have a good uh, holiday? Yeah. Yeah. Happy new year to you too. Uh, we, we did have a nice holiday, uh, with, uh, my fiance's family and I kind of, uh, joining all of our events together. I think we we counted five different Christmases that we ended up going to this nice. year. Uh, it's a little bit exhausting, but I think everybody's uh, understanding. And if we can only spend one or two hours in each place, it's it's okay. We move on to the next one. Uh, but those are the sort of growing pains that uh, that we go through with a new blended family here. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can understand that. Congratulations, by the way. Um, Thank you. So, uh, so when is the wedding? Well, we've got a couple locations we're looking at. We're actually going to be doing some tours uh, coming up next week. Um, looking for some time this spring. Nice. Uh, hoping to see if we can get as much as many members of the family uh, available uh, sometime in May or June. Nice. That, that should be a great experience. I'm, I'm I'm happy for you both. And and you brought your fiance down to the conference as well, I believe. Yep, that's right. Uh, we really enjoyed Greenville. We did a lot of touring around and got to see the downtown and the park, and it was really a nice visit. So uh, I hope maybe uh, at a, a future event I can come back again. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. I don't know if we um, – I, I haven't – I've talked about it a little bit, but we haven't gotten the project uh, launched yet. But we're we're building a polyglot website for the Polyglot conference. And so we're basically going to have a front end that calls out to APIs written in multiple different languages uh, that will be mm. rendering it. And so one of those is going to be JRuby. Um, just, Excellent. just wanted to let you know that. And so uh, yeah, we'll, there will be a JRuby post coming from the Carolina Code Conference at some point once that uh, once that comes up, as, as there will be one for, for every language that it's written in. But um, sure, sounds great. I'll uh, the, I'll uh, give the you conference feedback, shirt not with... a problem if, if possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds great. The conference shirt with all the different languages on it uh, is one of the uh, I get more comments wearing that shirt out at technical events than anything else. Everyone's really? looking for their language on there to try and nice. figure out what the uh, what the whole thing is. It was a great idea. And it really worked. Nice. You can thank uh, Bohemian Rhapsody for that. I saw a Bohemian Rhapsody in code shirt years ago and 
decided we needed to do some type of song and that, you know, if we could just find a way to mix up the lines, it, it was actually tougher to find one that worked where you could easily separate it by language. Cause some of them were a little bit tougher to, to get, but mm. um, I think that might become a, an annual tradition. We might just start picking a new song every year and see if we can, if we can keep that up with whatever community submissions we get from it. So I'm glad you like yeah, it. Yeah. Sounds great. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about your, your international travel. So you got to go to Taiwan. Uh, and so which conference was that? Uh, that's RubyConf Taiwan. RubyConf Taiwan. Okay. I, I thought I saw you had another one in Japan as, as well. Or no, you had one in Japan as well, didn't you? Or do you have that coming up? Yeah. Last spring I was at Ruby Kaigi. Uh, okay, that was it. And that was, yeah, that was in Matsumoto, kind of in north central Japan. Okay. Uh, that, it's about... You know, on average, uh, with the pandemic, things kind of change around. But it's on average uh, a trip every month to month and a half wow. or so. It's a, it's a it's a tight schedule, and and I still have to try and get work done along the way, which is the hardest part of doing all the travel. But uh, again, it's it's really good to get out to communities all over the world uh, and see what they're doing with Ruby and JRuby. So, what was it like in Taiwan? Taiwan's really nice. I have been there a few times before. Uh, actually studied Mandarin in college. Really? So I can kind of get by a little bit there. Um, I've forgotten most of the writing, but I can get myself in trouble with uh, speaking uh, and listening a little bit. So that kind of makes it a little more approachable. Uh, Taipei also has a lot of uh, similarities to Japan and Tokyo, but without the, the giant craziness that goes along with being in Japan. Uh, so you get a lot of the same sort of food choices, uh, a lot of the same cultural exchanges, uh, but not not quite as intense all the time. So it's a, a little easier trip to make. Nice. That that sounds like any any highlights from those trips, any sites you got to see that were really memorable? Uh, past trips to Taiwan, I have visited... Uh, is a traditional village that's about an hour and a half outside of Taipei, a village called Zhou Fun. Uh, it has more of a traditional uh, Chinese-style marketplace that you walk down these narrow alleys through the street uh, and buy crafts and food and tea. Uh, we've also gone to a tea farm in southern Taiwan where you actually go out into the field, and pick the tea leaves, gather them up in a, a basket, then you bring them back to the facility, they roast the tea for you, and you get to take your own picked tea home uh, as part of learning about the, the process of growing oolong tea. Now, that's really interesting. My wife and I drink tea every night. It's sort of our, our mm. evening ritual. We have uh, white tea, and we, we squeeze half a lemon between our two cups, just a little bit of just a little bit of tea and it's kind of our, our way of winding down and closing down the day. And, uh, we, I think we started it maybe five or six years ago and it's just, it's become something that we stick to so much that we even bring tea bags with us when we travel. If we're, if we're in a hotel room or something like that, we'll, we'll continue it. Um, but, uh, that would be really interesting. I mean, that's, that'd be a lot of fun to go and, and pick your own tea leaves and make and have them roasted. I'd be really curious to see that process to keep an yeah, eye it on that. Um, so what, I know you've traveled a lot, so I don't want to spend the entire time talking about world travel, but I'm, I'm really curious. As much as you travel, if you're traveling once a month and you're doing all these international trips, uh, is there anything in particular among all of these trips that stands out, aside from Greenville, obviously? 
um, <laughs> that really stands out uh, as as some as a memorable experience that you end up telling people about after you came back? Well, kind of like with Greenville, the most memorable events for me are the ones that are just getting going. They're smaller, you know, 100, 200, 300 people. Uh, newer events always seem to have a level of excitement that a lot of conferences tend to lose year after year as they get larger, as they get multi-track. Uh, it's, it's just hard to keep that same excitement of a first-time event. And so whenever I hear about Ruby conferences that are Ruby conferences, Java conferences, or anything else that are new to an area, or in the case of Carolina, uh, being brought back after a break, I'm always excited to jump in on those because I know the folks that go to those first events are always the most excited about sharing, about meeting people, about getting involved with the rest of the community. Nice. That's, that's good perspective to have. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're trying to grow this year. We're trying to grow to a two day, 300 person event. And we were single day, 150 when you were here. Um, but uh, we are actually, I'm very committed to keeping this thing to single track. And uh, I, I, hopefully that'll end up being a differentiator for us. Uh, we we tinkered with the format when you were here where we basically did alternating uh, half hour talks and 10 minute lightning talks in between the, the keynote speakers of, of you and Bruce. And that the pacing actually seemed to work alternating that it gave people time to get up and, and take breaks if they wanted to do the hallway track. But if a, if a talk came up that wasn't really their favorite thing, you know, they, they weren't exiting the room for an hour for, for, some, for some reason it seemed to keep people pretty, pretty well engaged. But uh, you know, as, as a speaker at events, I, I've always hated the, the multi-track conferences because you, you get all excited that you get, I mean, you might not get excited anymore because you do all these conferences all the time. But I always get really excited whenever I get picked up for a conference and I prepare and I prepare and I prepare. And then you get there and you know, it's, you're competing with everybody else in your track to get people in the room. Uh, and it can be a little frustrating, especially if the talk isn't recorded because <laughs> at least your preparation gets to be broadcast somewhere if it was recorded. But, um, it can be pretty rough if, if you've got a huge auditorium and there's like five people in there and then it's not even being recorded for posterity's sake. Right. Yeah. I, <clears throat> another conference in the region that I'm sure you're familiar with DevNexus. Yeah. Uh, I was there for the first time last year as well. And, you know, nothing against the conference. They run an amazing conference. The folks that are there are really excited. Uh, I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. It was a great event, but that was something like seven or eight tracks at the same time. Um, and, you know, probably close to a thousand, fifteen hundred people. I'm not sure how many attendees actually there. Mm -hmm. So it, it can get spread a little bit thin, especially when you have a talk like I delivered, which was a little more deeply focused on one area of technology, uh, specifically the uh, uh, support for fibers and Ruby, which we're, we're implementing with uh, virtual threading on the newer JVMs. Right. Uh, very specific topic that not a lot of folks may just wander into. Uh, when you have a single track conference, you get people who just hang out and they'll they'll learn something that they didn't expect to learn because kind of there's nowhere else to go. I mean, they'll they're interested in just seeing what happens next. And uh, again, the best conferences that I've been to, the best experiences I've had, were where everybody 
had a shared experience throughout the whole conference. Yeah, agreed. And that's what you have conversations about in between and afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the story that I always share is that, um, you know, I, I got to go give a talk in Nashville at a big security conference and, uh, and they had, it was also an eight track conference. I think there was 3000 people there, but I was giving a talk on email authentication because I've got, a, I've spent a ton of time working with DMARC over the years and, yeah. uh, there were five people in the room, this, this huge room, thousands of people at it, but no one's picking the email authentication of, of all of the topics on an eight track conference. It's just, and then I got to give the same talk at a single track conference. It was more focused on email and it was, it was really well responded to. I had a lot of great conversations. The speakers got to reference my talk as, and their talks and everything too. It was, it was great. Um, but, uh, that, that, that particular experience, I didn't really think much of it at the time, but it's really shaped a lot of a lot of my views on how to run this conference in the first place. Yeah. So, so one yeah, of the things you mentioned, I've had that experience too. Yeah. And so one of the things you mentioned, you know, as as you were talking about that very specific conference, was some of the newer features of the of the JVM. And so, what's the the current release of JRuby as I as I read this it is nine point four point five. Um. And so what so what what were the big what were the big features in, in 9.45 that, that got you excited about it? Well, we generally are just doing incremental uh, compatibility work. JRuby is essentially an emulation project. We have, a, there is an end goal. We could make JRuby perfect if it behaved 100% like the standard C implementation. So there is a possible end goal. It's just one that we're never going to get to. It's always going to be one little behavioral quirk somewhere in a corner. Uh, so every release is probably 90% just small quirks, missing features, new changes in the Ruby language that have come along. Uh, then we get some bugs that are just JRuby specific things that we need to fix. And then probably maybe five to 10% of what we put into these uh, dot dot releases are actual new features. And so this fall, the first version of Java came out, uh, Java 21, that had support for virtual threading. Uh, virtual threading basically allows you to spin up maybe tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of what's sort of like micro threads, little threadlets that will be scheduled in the background to run on of CPU cores, but don't take up all the, the memory and overhead of a true native thread. Okay. And so we integrated support for that in JRuby in August or September, uh, tying it into the fiber feature in Ruby, which is very similar. And uh, that's one of the big ones that we're starting to see huge improvements in how JRuby can scale, where before our fibers were just backed with a regular native thread. Uh, typical process usually can't go more than 1,000, 2,000 native threads before things start to blow up. Now with virtual threads, with Project Loom, the, the project that brought it to Java, we are able to get easily tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of fibers, uh, and they perform much better than the old thread-based ones. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's been a big feature that is actually shipping in current versions of JRuby now. That's, uh, that's really good to hear. But one of the things that, you know, I, I had a lot of experience with Ruby and then at some point I got really interested in, in Elixir uh, as well. And, you know, Elixir on, runs on runs on the beam. And one of the big features of, of Elixir is this 
this idea of they call them processes on the beam, but just these really, really lightweight processes where you can spin up a million of them at the same time and it's virtually no overhead. So you can run everything in parallel. And there's a lot more going on than that. But, uh, you know, whenever I saw fibers and Ruby, I got really excited about it. And then I, and when you were talking about it, I learned the trade off that you would be stuck with, with using threads on the JVM until this feature came out. Uh, I was, I was really excited to hear about this because, um, you know, once you get started using that, once you get used to being able to, you know, put things in parallel with virtually no real cost to your application to do it, you start thinking that way. And it's hard to go back once you start thinking in parallel terms with everything. And so it's it's really big to have access to that. I know there's a, um, on the Ruby side of things, I know there's a web server uh, with Ruby, like Falcon, it's called, that's that's trying to use fibers as, uh, as it's, um, you know, instead of, threads. And so uh, I imagine that'll become default as it becomes more available. Yeah, that's uh, the Falcon server and some of the, the support libraries around it uh, were written by some of the core Ruby folks that have been making fibers faster and lighter weight. Uh, now we're able to kind of follow up and catch up with that process. I think it was one of the first demonstrations of doing a million concurrent requests in a current in a, in a single C Ruby process, nice. uh, of course, there were a lot of a lot of tweaks required on the system to allow that many sockets and a lot of tricks behind the scenes. But the fact that it could actually handle a million concurrent connections with a million fibers uh, and make progress on all of them—that's really exciting. When we couple that with JRuby's ability to also use real parallel threads to run on the JVM with concurrent and and pauseless garbage collection, uh, all the performance stuff we do, it's a really compelling environment that really has never existed for JVM users, JVM developers before. Yeah. To be able to have this sort of micro concurrency pervasive throughout the system is really going to change the way people do development on the JVM. Now, does you mentioned the scheduling beforehand? Is it does it use a, a preemptive scheduler? The scheduling right now, I think there's no way to plug in your own scheduler, but it uses the fork join subsystem on the JVM okay. uh, and uses that to basically have a, a bunch of event loops, a bunch of select loops that are basically watching all of the different fibers as they run. And when they get to a point where they're blocking, they can be descheduled. Uh, the fork join logic will then pull in another fiber, another micro thread and start running that one. So it's, it's not explicitly preemptive, uh, but when you get to those blocking boundaries, you are setting yourself up to be rescheduled uh, and have another fiber jump into the same, the same native thread. Okay. So the, the, the reason that I asked just because as you get into to all of the, the trade-off of, of the scheduler and everything that's in there, um, the, one of the big risks of doing all that work in parallel is the is having something really large take over everything and then grind everything else to a halt. Is that much of a risk on the on this model? I believe that still would be a risk. Uh, if you had, for example, one of those virtual threads just doing a heavy computation, uh, never calling out to IO, never uh, trying to lock on any object or mutex, never blocking in any way, 
just doing continuous computation, I don't believe there's any way that it can get descheduled right now. Okay. So uh, as with, say, uh, Go routines or I maybe for processes, I'm not sure how, how it handles preemption. Um, you got to be careful that the units of work you're doing within virtual threads are small enough between blocking calls that there will be an opportunity to, to reschedule something else. Yeah, that's, that's typically uh, the trade-off with the preemptive scheduler on, on the Erlang and, and Beam side. And I know that's outside of your control being on the, on the JVM itself. Um, but I just had to ask, you'll typically see Erlang perform much slower in benchmarks because it's constantly monitoring what that scheduler for that exact reason. Right, that makes sense. And then the, the way that the JVM is doing it, we've still got the same JIT, we've still got the same safe points and garbage collector. So it's not feasible to preemptively interrupt a virtual thread and schedule a new one. Uh, but generally if it's doing work and it's making progress, that's what we're looking for. We want that, that computation to complete and it right. will just let that continue to run. Once it needs to report that out to uh, some IO channel or put it in a queue or, or lock and wait for some additional data, then that fiber can be descheduled and it will move on to a different one. Okay. All right. Uh, well, so, so what else is new with, uh, with JRuby? Where do y'all see JRuby going kind of in the future? Well, we're continuing to integrate a lot of the new JVM features uh, along with virtual threads. Uh, I think Java 22 now, they're going to land a final version of the uh, native function and memory support on the JVM. Uh, as, as a standard built-in part of the JVM now, it'll be possible to pull in a native library, uh, call the functions directly from Java or any other JVM code, uh, manage off-heat memory in an efficient way, uh, and then all of that tied together such that the, the garbage collector understands what's going on, the JIT can optimize those calls and make them as direct as possible to the whatever native library you're using. Uh, this is important for JRuby because in the Ruby world, which grew up in kind of the C POSIX environment, uh, you do a lot of calling out to native functions and people expect to be able to use the same native libraries on JRuby that they would be using in the C implementation of Ruby, the standard implementation. Uh, so we can now provide that feature uh, more efficiently than the existing library we have. Uh, existing one just uses Java's native interface to, to make those calls, requires a lot of extra boilerplate. Uh, with the uh, Project Panama stuff in OpenJDK, the native function and memory access, we'll be able to just point it at a library, tell it what the inputs and outputs are, and the JVM will optimize those calls for us. Wow, that's that's going to be a big deal. That's going to be a really big deal for for just the the developer experience on this stuff. Um, I know I, I always joke anytime that any Ruby and, and Python developers were, were kind of comparing notes and was like, you're, you're all just calling out the C when it's hard. So don't, don't compare your performance. <laughs> you're, you're doing the exactly. same thing. Same thing with PHP. I mean, it's, uh, there's, there's only so much you can do, but, um, but that is, that is really interesting because there's so many, you're, you're right. There are so many call outs like that. And, and my experience in, in getting into JRuby in the first place and seeing just how many of those native C libraries had, Java equivalent 
libraries that you could use with JRuby was, I was really impressed um, at just how thorough everything was. But being able to, to fill in those gaps and call out to some of those, those native extensions would be a really big deal. I mean, it would, right. I mean, you were talking about never having that perfect compatibility to start the call, but it, I mean, it really sounds like you might have that once Java 22 comes out. It makes a big difference for us. Uh, whenever we run into uh, extensions that have been written for the standard C implementation, uh, we can't really run them. They're, they're too invasive. They depend on a lot of internals of CRuby. Uh, we can simulate them. We can port them. We can write our own versions on the JVM, as you found a number of the key libraries. We do have Java equivalents. Uh, the next way that we can support some of those extensions is by calling through some native function layer. Uh, in JRuby, we uh, we have a library called JNR. Uh, it's the Java Native Runtime, and it's basically a little foreign function, native function calling library on the JVM that we maintain. Uh, it works well. We've gotten it to optimize decently, but it still has to go through that JNI layer, which which really hurts performance. Uh, what we're hoping is that as CRuby's performance gets better, uh, they won't need C code for performance as much. They won't need C code to make Ruby run fast. Right. Uh, JRuby already doesn't necessarily need C code or Java code for Ruby to run fast. Hopefully, almost as we go forward, more and more of native calls and native library support will be done through an interface like JNR, like Project Panama, so that both CRuby and JRuby can share the same native library without writing any new native code. That's really interesting. Um, so one of the things you mentioned at the conference was uh, that you were trying to get more people involved in actually continuing to develop JRuby. It was sort of a, a call to arms to, to help keep the project going. Have you had any luck with that? And would you like to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, with conference seasons, uh, conferences just in general picking up, uh, every time we, we go and do a talk somewhere, we'll get another two or three folks that'll come in, start asking to help, submit some pull requests. Uh, we've had really excellent luck this past year with five or six contributors that have been doing uh, dozens of different pull requests. A lot of small features, new features in Ruby that we missed or uh, small bugs that can be fixed quickly. Uh, we're now making a big push for the next compatibility level we're going for. Uh, current version of JRuby is compatible with Ruby 3.1. The next version we intend to jump to Ruby 3.3, which was just released this Christmas. And we're hopeful that if we can get on this right away, get some folks to come in and look at the feature checklist, help us implement some stuff, get the, the, the quick features banged out. Hopefully that by mid-year, we can get the next major version of JRuby out with current level of CRuby compatibility. That would be, that would be a real accomplishment to do that, to be able to keep up with it. I know Ruby 3.3 that just came out was a, was a pretty major release. Everybody was really excited about it, getting their Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. They always managed to put in a good set of features uh, since we crossed the 3.0 boundary, each incremental release hasn't been too too difficult for us to catch up with. Mm -hmm. uh, but the JRuby 9.3 to 9.4 cycle, we had to jump up uh, three compatibility versions 
So that one took a couple of years to really catch up. We don't want to fall back into that trap again. So we're going to see if we can't at least every other year be fully caught up on the current Ruby version. Nice. Nice. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll look for that update whenever we're doing our, our JRuby version of the, the conference website API. Excellent. Great. Maybe, maybe we can do a comparison of, of uh, the, the, the 3.1 to the 3.3 compatibility. That'd be yeah, for that'd sure. Be fun. You know, everybody loves benchmarks, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there was, there was other stuff as well. You know, I remember you talked a little bit about being able to use JRuby to develop Android applications. Um, is that still a viable option? I know there was a little bit of a, of a question about some of the library stability. Um, or at least I think there was, I don't want to misspeak on that. Well, we have a lot of compatibility updates for newer versions of Android that are, are on branches basically right now. Um, this is an area where we are looking for folks. If they're interested in writing Ruby applications for Android, this is probably going to be the easiest way. It integrates well with the Java-like subsystem that is Android, that is the, the Android runtime. Uh, so it's possible to get it to pull the right branch, build the whole thing, and get an app set up. This is one of the things that we did at Ruby Kaigi. I sat down with some other speakers there and help them work through getting their Android app based on JRuby working uh, for the talk they had the next day. It was a little tense at first, but uh, we figured out all the problems. Uh, we also sometimes, JRuby pushes a lot of edges of these runtimes, and I've got two active bugs against the Android runtime right now uh, that we have worked around, but they're, the workarounds aren't great. So sometimes we do need to wait a little bit as JVM versions and Android versions do a few levels of patch releases uh, just because we find bugs in these runtimes that, that most other libraries and, and applications don't. So it's right now it's in progress. If folks are interested in doing JRuby on Android, uh, it's easy to search for the Rubato project, R-U-B-O-T-O, Rubato. Uh, and that's the framework for JRuby on Android. And uh, we're very keen to get it updated and start putting out regular releases. I'll, uh, I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. Excellent. But um, so what about, you know, for the rest of the, for the rest of 2024, I know we're just getting into 2024 now, but you've talked about, uh, about JRuby quite a lot, but, but you know, what's on deck for you personally in 2024? I know you're getting married, which is awesome. But uh, yeah, that's a big one that's coming up. Uh, I, you know, it's tough. I've been doing JRuby for, for 15 years. Uh, I am <clears throat> a very keen to spend more time playing with the new JVM features like the virtual threading. Uh, I've always wanted to do a, an implementation of Go that would run on the JVM. Uh, oh. But having, having Go routines uh, very similar to processes or fibers very difficult to emulate on top of the JVM and, and the plumbing just wasn't there for it. That's something that we could very easily support now. Uh, and with Go being a simple language, it's reasonable to think that we could do a JVM Go that would perform at least as well, possibly better, and still have all of the same concurrency characteristics. Um, I'm also excited about uh, some new features in the JVM for speeding up 
startup and warm up time. This has been a traditional challenge for JRuby. We take a lot longer to get running and get fast uh, just because of the way the JVM works. But there's a, a new project. It's the unfortunately named Project Crack, uh, <laughs> C-R-A-C, uh, which stands for uh, Checkpoint and Restore. And I can't remember the last two letters, but it's basically taking a snapshot of ideally a warm, ready-to-run JVM instance, possibly running something like JRuby. And then every time you start up after that, it will use that checkpoint to jump right into a warm and ready to go runtime. That makes that's going to change. That's going to change so much for the Java platform. Uh, once we have zero t startup time or sh very short warm up time, we can start competing with, you know, functions that are written in things like Go and Rust. Wow. I imagine that would be, uh, would be big for usage with something like Lambda as well. Right, exactly. We'll, th there's some work to shrink down the checkpoint uh, size. Right now, the main barrier to jumping back into that checkpoint, restoring the checkpoint, is that it is kind of a large memory image. Right. Uh, but as the JVM itself gets more aware of what this checkpointing process is, it can shrink down the heap, uh, run some garbage collection cycles to clean stuff up, and only have in memory what we need. Uh, I'm hoping they can also combine this with some ahead-of-time compilation. So not only will we save off the running application, we'll save off all the optimized code and just jump straight back into a small, fast runtime. Uh, similar to doing uh, like a Graal VM ahead-of-time compilation, but with the full capability of the JVM. That's that makes that makes sense. But yeah, I can I can definitely see how those will be challenges. The um, do you pay attention to any of the the new Rails releases that come out? We do mostly just to try and keep up and make sure things are working well on JRuby. Uh, most of Rails is pure Ruby and just works without modification, without any changes to JRuby or Rails. Uh, the place we have to watch is in the database layers. That's where they have their native extensions, and we have to kind of emulate the different database drivers behind that. Well, the reason I so ask that's, is they just advertise this uh, solid cache as uh, you know they're they're championing using a disk-based cache just because uh, NVMe disks are so fast that it's getting comparable to memory. Uh, and there's not as much of a trade-off while you have a much larger amount of space that you can store for cash. And they put out a lot of benchmarks and everything with it. I can imagine that um, with the kind of the the warmed up um, runtime for the JVM, they could probably take advantage of a lot of that as well in, in a very similar fashion of just, you know, it doesn't have to, you've just got to load it from the disk into memory uh, as, you're, as you're getting it going. And so that trade-off could make that a lot more beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. If we're able to save off the, the in-memory process and basically snapshot all the stuff on disk that goes along with it, uh, you can be launching another dozen instances of that from the exact same point with almost no time. Uh, it, sh it should all play really well together once the, the crack checkpointing is built into the JVM and has all the awareness of the, the JIT and the garbage collector. Okay, gotcha. 
All right. So any, uh, any conferences that people should be looking for you, uh, that people should be uh, on the lookout for you this year? Uh, I assume you're not giving a talk on your honeymoon. No, no. <laughs> Whenever that ends up being, well, I'm definitely going to be putting a big gap around that for conferences. Good. Uh, the ones I usually try to get to, uh, I'm returning to FOSDEM this year uh, in Brussels for the first time. FOSDEM is the big uh, European open source conference. It's a free event that runs over a weekend at the end of January. Then, and the there's a room for just about everything. There's a Ruby room again this year. There's a Java room. Um, if you're if you're into Go, if you're into Elixir, if you're into Ada, uh, if you're I, actually there might not be a Perl room this year. That, that might be one that you'd have to find somewhere else. But great events. Bad. Yeah, I know, I know. My son uh, he he wishes Perl was more heavily used because it's one language that he's found interesting to learn along the way. Nice. He does mostly Python, but he keeps looking around to see if anybody's doing Perl. So I'll be at FOSDEM at the end of January. Uh, I will most likely also be at RailsConf, uh, which I think is Detroit this year. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Ruby Kaigi again in Japan, which is in Okinawa. Uh, so that'll be my first time there, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing the Japanese Ruby community again. Uh, beyond that, uh, I haven't planned anything much out around spring and summer, okay. uh, given that I'm probably going to be a little occupied. I, I can imagine, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. So one one last thing I got to ask. It turns out, just based on following you on Twitter, that you're a bourbon guy. <laughs> So I, that's I, correct. I saw you got to do uh, do some some whiskey sampling around uh, around Christmas this year. Any any new favorites? Uh, well, the the one that uh, has really kind of taken over lately, uh, we've been getting uh, Jefferson Ocean, okay, uh, which is a a small batch bourbon that they actually load the kegs, uh, load the barrels onto a ship and sail it around for a few months. Uh, this really? apparently is a thing, apparently a thing in barreled liquors that uh, the rocking motion of the ship, uh, the temperature, pressure changes, humidity changes, somehow make it mature more quickly. And so what you end up with in, for example, Jefferson Ocean is a very smooth bourbon, like an easy neat drinking bourbon that uh, everybody I've had try is the, the first thing they're asking is what is this? And the second thing they're asking is how much just to try and find it. So Jeff you ever get a chance to, to give that a shot? Yep. I'm, Jefferson, I'm they, Jefferson has a couple different brands, but Jefferson ocean is the one where they actually ship it around the sea. I'm, I'm going to have to check that out. I, I always, I've always been told the, to, you know, to stick with the three B's, the, um, Booker's Blanton's and Basil Hayden, but, uh, mm, yes, but, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan just in general, but, uh, I'm going to have to keep that in mind. Jefferson ocean always, always will take an experienced recommendation from anything like that. So absolutely give it a shot. All right. Well, um, anything else you want to let everyone know? I don't think so. I, I I'm hoping that folks will be interested in what we're doing with J Ruby um, either from a Ruby aspect or from a JVM aspect. We got lots of folks that contribute to the project just for the interest of building a new and interesting project on top of the JVM. 
uh, I hope folks will, will check out jruby.org and uh, we'll share some links to how to contribute and how to get involved. And hopefully over the next year, we'll, we'll be able to uh, catch up with regular Ruby compatibility and bring a whole lot of new JRubyists on board. Sounds good. And if you ever get bored, I mean, there's always time to do Perl on the JVM. So, Hey, that's right. <laughs> J Perl still doesn't exist. We can make it happen. See? Goals. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great having you on, Charles. I got to give my uh, my weekly shout out to uh, Herd Media. Thank you all for, for helping me to get this podcast put together. If you're ever looking to start a podcast and need, uh, and need help producing it, if you've got a, a budget that's larger than mine, you can probably afford to uh, to get professional help. They'll take care of everything for you and make everything about the uh, podcasting process as smooth as it can be. This has been the Carolina Codecast.